The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. All right, and this is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Peppy. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is the WVU Sports Podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, guys. Hey, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, we really want to get those numbers up, and we know a lot of you listen to us weekly. So please help us out and hit that subscribe button. It would be greatly appreciated. Even if you listen on Spotify or Apple Pod, please head over to YouTube and subscribe for us. So tonight we'll be recording two episodes. Later, we will be breaking down the Texas Tech matchup. But for this episode, we will be discussing West Virginia's victory over Baylor, the impact this has on Neil Brown's job security, and what was the biggest play of the game, because there was a lot to choose from. And that's just among many other things. So let's jump right into it. The Mountaineers get a much-needed win over Baylor, 43-40. to this is WVU's first conference win this season, and they are back at 500 with a 3-3 three and three record. A berth for a bowl game is still extremely realistic right now after this win, and fans got to witness a very fun and exciting game. So what are your thoughts on the victory? Yeah, it was definitely a fun game, and it was great to see WVU get a win in Big 12 play um, when it definitely seemed um, after that Texas game that it was kind of up in the air on whether we would get back into that win column and against two. Um, you know, you know, that win definitely wasn't guaranteed. Both teams made a lot of mistakes um, to let the other team back into it, you know, back-to-back interceptions, fumbles for, um, you know, return for touchdown, blocked extra points, you know, and things went WVU's way. Um, what I was most encouraged about, I think, is that WVU came in uh, to the second half and really kind of put their foot on the gas and, committed to scoring points and trying to put as many points on the board as possible um, as opposed to, you know, in previous weeks where it seemed like they tried to slow down and, you know, keep the tempo down. Um, Baylor was definitely scoring at will and WVU and Neil Brown decided that they had to do the same. And ultimately that worked out best for WVU because WVU made the less, the, the least mistakes, um, even though that's not saying much, but came out on top, and that's all I can ask for. Yeah, 100%. I mean, WVU won the turnover battle 3-1, to one, and if you want to count that blocked PAT, it was really 4-1, to one, and uh, they still just won by three points. So, I mean, we're very close to having a very different feeling after that game. But, hey, take them when you can get them. And, and for me, this was the most exciting Mountaineer game so far this season. There were several memorable plays. The crowd was excited from start to finish. And this is easily the best win WVU has had so far this season. Townsend was an FCS school. Virginia Tech just isn't very good. So this one was just very satisfying, I think. And, you know, I understand Baylor's having a down year for Baylor and their starting quarterback got hurt. But that victory over the Bears was just more enjoyable compared to those first two wins for me. Um, and I feel like this game gives Mountaineer fans some hope to reach a bowl game. And, you know, although this team still has improvements to make, without a doubt, this victory gave fans and this team, I think, a better outlook for the rest of the year. Because let's face it, if they lost Thursday, then a bowl berth was pretty much out of the question. Oh, for sure. I mean, 
you know, I, I think things were definitely looking pretty dire and WVU's three losses aren't really that bad looking back at them. I mean, Pitt's a really solid football team. Um, obviously Kansas before Jalen Daniels went down is, you know, probably still a top 25 football team. Um, they have back-to-back losses now. Um, and then of course, Texas, um, you know, played another close game against Iowa state, which they probably should have lost. But, um, yeah, I mean the, the three losses we have aren't bad. I, I think what struck me, um, the worst about the way we were playing during those games is, you know, coaching decisions and little kind of micro decisions that happened during those games. Um, and at the, in the Baylor game, you really didn't see too much of that, especially in the second half and the first half, you could argue there were some things that happened that, you know, were, were kind of head scratching, but overall, you know, we kind of adjusted, we came out there and played and now we have an opportunity to get a bowl game. Um, obviously the schedule coming up is still pretty tough. Uh, so, you know, I would still like to see us hit that seven win, um, win total because you know even though we did come off to a slow start i still don't think that really excuses um what that final win total should be based on all the talent that we have on this team now i'm with you i mean seven is what i wanted from the get-go and i'm still hoping for it but at this point i'll take six in a bowl berth and maybe get that seven at a bowl game we'll see but uh you mentioned it earlier wvu finally had the ball bounce their way a few times even neil brown admitted it at his press conference um but, I mean, that's just football. Sometimes the turnovers and plays go your way. Sometimes they don't. So I'm happy the Mountaineers capitalized on those opportunities. Like we said earlier, they had three forced fumbles and a block PAT on top of it that went back for two. Um, so what do you make of all the splash plays that they had on defense and special teams? Because we really haven't seen that all year. I think it really kind of goes to show how much the players believe in Neil Brown, that they're still playing hard. That was my biggest kind of question mark coming into this game, especially after how they came out of the gate against Texas and really, you know, didn't show signs of life until that second half, how they were going to come out against Baylor and they didn't stop fighting. So I think that goes to show that a lot of the guys still trusted Neil Brown. A lot of the guys still want to play tough for him, um, which is good. I mean, obviously you want your players to like your coaches. Um, You know, I I think some, you know, some of the, turnovers on Baylor's part weren't necessarily um, Baylor's or what WVU's doing. I think it was just kind of, you know, like you said, the ball bounced WVU's way, but the heads up play and the awareness and the ability for the West Virginia defenders to come up with the ball and make a play with it afterwards is, you know, you have to give credit for that because you have to capitalize on those, you know, bobbles and muffs and everything else. And they actually did it. So um, and, and it was a lot of fun to watch too. Cause I mean, you know, as, as a WVU fan this year, I mean, we haven't really had too many opportunities outside of the Jacoby spells pick six, um, mm-hmm. where the defense has done anything and produced anything worth cheering for. Most of the time it's just been hiding your head in your hands and it's been painful. So even though the defense did not play well as a whole, having those turnovers, um, makes it a little bit more palatable. I mean, obviously you don't want to be winning games 43, 40, yeah, you'd like to, you know, win by a couple scores or a touchdown or something a little comfortable. But if that's how we have to win, if we have to play more up-tempo, if we have to trust on the defense just to capitalize on mistakes over time because people are going to mis- make mistakes in college football, um, I'm okay with winning that way. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. I think we even mentioned during the preview for Baylor that, you know, if you're going to give up a lot of big plays, you at least have to be aggressive 
and create splash plays, which is exactly what they did. And I even remember Neil Brown saying he was going to emphasize special teams during WVU's long layoff after the Texas game. So it's good to see practice and hard work pay off because that three-point swing turned out to be the difference on Thursday with that block PAT being taken back. So, um, I mean, all of that leads us to our next topic, the the big plays. There were so many big plays in this game. The strip sack by Sean Martin and Jazir Cox taking him back for a touchdown was a huge swing. Baylor was leading 17-7 to at that time. Um, you could argue that the block PAT re- return for two points was the biggest play because it was just such a big momentum swing in the fourth quarter. Uh, but for me, quite possibly, the biggest play of the game was Andrew Wilson-Lamp's targeting penalty on Blake Shapen, and that's because Shapen seemed unstoppable up to that point, and that hit knocked him out of the game, um, and he was never able to return. So, I mean, obviously, we hope Shapen's okay. That's not a play we root for, but that forced freshman Kieran Drones to play most of the second half. And initially, Drones picked up right where Shapen left off. He he was five for six with a touchdown to start. Um, however, he finished the game only going two for seven after that, and he had an interception on top of it. So um, credit to West Virginia's defense for putting a lot of pressure on him and forcing Drones to make some bad decisions. But uh, without a doubt, that was a huge turning point in the game. So what do you think of, you know, what, in your opinion, what was the biggest play of the day? Yeah. Um, so, the, you know, first off, that that hit, you know, like you said, you de- never want to see that happen. I do think it was the right call. Um, Chapin was kind of giving himself up. Lamp probably should have held up a little bit better. Um, but, you know, those plays happen. Um, and unfortunately, we couldn't beat Baylor with Chapin. I think the, the win would have looked a lot better if we had. But, you know, I, I like you said, I hope Chapin all the best. And that was a big turning point for the game. Um, but my biggest play was one that I think people um, maybe overlook a little bit more amongst that this game that had so many big plays. And it was the the second and one run by Tody Mathis for 37 yards that took us within the eight yard line um, on that final drive. And, and the reason I, I think that's the most important is because regardless of, you know, some of those other, you know, the, the block PAT, which a lot of people are going to highlight. Um, that run still would have given us a chance to win the game regardless of what happened. You know, I mean, we ran out the clock. We forced Baylor to burn timeouts there because we knew we could kick the game winning field goal. Uh, But, you know, in another scenario where that block PAT doesn't happen and the game is um, and we're looping, we're losing by, I think three would be the scenario there. You know, it's first and 10 with an eight yard line and we wouldn't have to burn clock or and take the lead that way. Um, you know, obviously it's not a given that our defense would have stopped drones, but um, he, the, the moment definitely seemed a little too big for him there at the end. Um, but, you know, I, I do think it kind of goes to show how hard WV was trying, um, how well the offensive line played, how well Tony Mathis played. And even Sam James had an incredible block downfield that would have allowed that, that kind of broke Tony free into the secondary because without that block, he might've only ran for 15 yards instead of 37. So um you know, it showed the fight, and I think it epitomized the way that the WVU offense played that or on Saturday. Yeah, I'm with you. That was huge because, you know, without that play, the game probably goes into overtime. And, I mean, look at how the Kansas game ended. 
you could argue WVU had the momentum. They scored the last points heading into overtime, and and you know we still lost that game. So that was absolutely a huge play by Mathis to really just put the nail in the coffin and secure the win. Um, but I mean, I mean, let's talk about the the quarterback situation a little more with Baylor um, because it was concerning. I, I mean, a lot of people are kind of glossing over it since WVU did win, but uh, you know our secondary is still a very big concern um and let's talk about why they might have struggled first off the defense lost four players throughout that game McCormick and Ajay both got injured in the first half and they never came back they didn't finish the game Andrew Wilson Lamp was ejected due to that targeting call we were just talking about and Sean Martin got banged up in that game as well and and didn't you know he wasn't able to finish it was kind of late in the game but still I mean that's a big guy to be missing late in the game. So big props for still fighting and finding a way to win. Um, WVU's coaching staff had to get creative though. They moved safety um, Ruffin to cornerback for much of the second half. So what's your opinion on WVU's secondary? Because overall they had a pretty rough performance, but uh, you know, they did fight and claw their way back and they got the job done in the end. Yeah, I mean, you have to give kudos to the, to the secondary for kind of filling in whenever all those players went out. I mean, that's a tough situation for anyone to be in, but Baylor was still striking us even regardless of who was out there, and it kind of exasperates and highlights the fact of how bad we are back there. Um, the kind of encouraging thing, though, was that you know our defensive line still looked good. I know we only had two sacks, but we had 16 pressures um, against Baylor. It seemed like we were winning at the point of attack. Baylor likes to run the ball. Um, and, you know, obviously it seemed like Baylor was leaning heavy pass because we, they knew we could be, get, be beat there. Um, but, you know, our defensive line also is a reason why I think Baylor didn't lean so heavy on the run. Um, they also had an injury to their running back, Craig Williams, I think it was. Um, he got hurt on a kickoff return. But even then, I mean, the defensive front played really well. And honestly, I would like to see us find more creative ways to get them more involved because it seems like we kind of rely on them to just do things on their own and put four guys up there and then drop eight back or seven back and, you know, just put a blanket back there so that maybe we don't get shredded, but that doesn't seem to be working. So I would like to see us get more aggressive. I would like to see us attack more. I would like to see us blitz more. I mean, our linebackers and coverage haven't been good either. I mean, Kopja played well against the run, but he did not play well against the pass. There were several plays where he was supposed to be covering running backs or tight ends, and he just got lost. So, um, you know, I, I just want to see some more aggressive play out there because, you know, we're giving up big plays regardless. And, you know, even though you can tell the guys are trying back there, um, you know, let, let's put some more pressure on the quarterbacks because, you know, you want them to make some more mistakes and, that's the reason we won is that the other team made mistakes. I'm with you. Yeah. I definitely want to highlight everything you just said. The front seven, I'm I'm with you. I thought they played very well. They held Baylor to 169 rushing yards, which might not seem great, but keep in mind, Baylor was averaging 187 coming into the game. And plus Baylor had 24 rushing yards on that final drive, which were, I mean, those were basically just stat pattern plays. You know, those runs didn't hurt our defense with less than 30 seconds left. 
So um, I thought they did a great job against the run. They also did a great job of applying pressure late, obviously, late in the game. Um, it was a little rough in the first half, but in the fourth quarter, they did a nice job of pressuring that freshman. Um, so I'm very pleased with how the front seven played. Um, but yeah, the secondary obviously were pumped that they, you know, persevered and found a way to win, but there's just no way to sugarcoat some of these stats. The Mountaineers gave up 10, 20 plus yard passing plays in just one game. And, and that's Baylor, a team, like we just said, who's known for running. They're not even really known for making big splash passing plays. And, um, you know, they just absolutely got carved up over the middle and with screen passes on the outside. I will give Baylor a lot of credit. Um, you know, they drew up some great plays. They use a lot of shifts, formations, misdirections, and this makes it really hard on their opponents. There was even a few times I remember just looking at everyone in our section saying, you know, that's just a great play call. How I don't even blame our defense for getting fooled on that. But, you know, I don't know. Secondary is just still a major concern. And I feel like the Mountaineers are going to have to score 35 plus points a game just a win against, you know, most of these big 12 opponents. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to find a bright spot in the secondary. I mean, looking at the stats against how many yards we were allowing, how many um, receptions we were allowing on targets. I mean, really the one that stands out that still wasn't even great is that was targeted eight times, but and only allowed three receptions, but he still allowed 60 yards on those three receptions, 21 yards per attempt. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to, even find a bright spot that that's happening there because, you know, it's different. I think if you're breaking up passes or you're, you know, getting around the ball or you're, you know, getting your hands on the ball for a chance to, it's just a bad pass. So that doesn't count against your stats, but um, it's a problem whenever you're just getting beat. I mean, I I don't know um, what the solution is there uh, other than just seeing if we can apply more pressure to the quarterback um, I mean, we've seen a lot of guys, I just mentioned Jacoby spells, but we've seen Andrew Wilson lamp who unfortunately got ejected. So we didn't get to see him as much as we would have liked to. Um, we still, ha- we didn't see too much Mumu bin Wahad. Um, but you know, we've seen a lot of Ajayi. We've seen a lot of Mollinger. We've seen a lot of Cox, um, you know, Burks and everyone else. And I think Burks has played well, even though he had a bad game, um, on Saturday with, he had four missed tackles. He also allowed 60 yards, um, in receptions on two catches. So, I mean, it's just bad all the way around. And, you know, I don't know if it's scheme. I don't know if we're just playing too conservative because of how badly we know we can get beat. Um, it's just kind of baffling as to what the solution is to how to make the secondary better. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that we might be able to hang our hat on is Charles Woods is expected to come back soon. So maybe um, he'll be back against TCU, maybe Iowa State. We don't know for sure, um, but it looks like he's trending in the right direction. And obviously that'll help. But the question is, how healthy is he going to be? It's, it, I mean, it's hard to believe he'll be 100% after a pretty big injury like that. Maybe he'll be 80, 90, but, um, you know, every little bit helps. But I hope people aren't expecting a miracle once Woods returns, because he can't fix this entire secondary by himself. No, no way. I mean, he's good, and maybe he can, you know, shift the focus from one side of the field to, you know, if he can operate on an island, maybe you're able to shift coverage to the other side, and then, 
You know, if he allows a few catches, you'll live with it because you know that he's not going to get beat deep. Um, and then you could shift safeties over to the other side and just kind of overload and make sure that that side's handled. Um, obviously, that that's not without its faults as well, but it's an idea to play around with. I mean, I, at this point, um, I'm okay with Jordan Leslie throwing the kitchen sink at it. You know, if he wanted to go with like eight guys in the box and just three guys playing over top as like super safeties in like a prevent style defense. I mean, I'd be willing to give it a shot. I mean, um, at this point, I I just want to see the defense kind of excel at something um, in that back half, because it really just hasn't been impressive in any way, shape or form against the pass. And it's a huge problem, especially being in the big 12, you know, if this was the big 10, you know, maybe you get a little scared when you play Ohio state, but everyone else, you can probably live without a great secondary, but this is the big 12. Everyone has an air raid style offense. Everyone has a quarterback who can sling it. Everyone has at least one wide receiver who's got to torch you deep. So you, you got to have some sort of stability back there. And um, it's just interesting how we got to this situation because, you know, our secondary has never been anywhere close to this bad up uh, during the Neil Brown era and towards the latter half of the uh, Dana Holgerson era. I mean, during the early half of Dana Holgerson, our secondary was really bad as well. I mean, we all remember the Baylor game. As much fun as it was to watch, um, there was no defense being played, and that was kind of his MO there. But, I mean, we need bodies if we have a lot of young guys and we have a lot of old guys, but there's really no one in between who's ready to play, and that's that's a big issue. Yeah, I mean, one thing Woods might be able to help this defense do is we keep talking about it. We want them to be more aggressive um, to make splash plays because you're giving up those chunk plays regardless. So why not be aggressive and create turnovers like we saw on Thursday? I mean, again, three turnovers, a block PAT. Now, obviously, I mean, this isn't a video game. You can't blitz every single down. You got to kind of keep the defense guessing. You got to try to disguise where the pressure is coming from. But um, being more aggressive seems like the way to go for this D because, like we keep saying, the chunk plays are coming regardless. And this team likes to play zone to try to mask those secondary issues. Um, So I wonder if they will try more man coverage once Charles Woods comes back. Um, I'm sure, again, his level of play and how healthy he really is will be a big factor in that. But um, it will be interesting to see how they change their strategy on defense once he returns, because obviously he is a guy who can lock down, you know, their best receiver. And maybe you're more willing to risk man coverage and bring a big blitz from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. Or we could blitz seven every play and then just play press coverage on the outside and try to (laughs) bully all the receivers for two seconds so we can get a sack. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, they, they talked about, they wanted to play more man coverage this year because we were more athletic, but um, being able to play man coverage is more than just athleticism. You got to have awareness. You got to have some skill back there. And it's, I mean, it's tough. I mean, you look at why some of the best, most coveted players in the NFL are top tier cornerbacks who can shadow guys and, um, you know, put guys, you can put them on an Island. They take away the entire side of the field with their um, pass coverage ability. Um it's because it's hard, you know, and the ability to just take one guy out of the play all by yourself and not needing to worry about getting additional help or whether you're going to get beat um, is hugely valuable. And um, in, in, in the big 12 and in uh, college football, where the 
air raid is so prevalent where it is designed to create space where it's designed to you know run short efficient routes that's really hard to cover in short spaces i think it's hard to play man unless you have some really 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 good guys out there um so as much as they may want to play man i i don't know if we'll ever be able to fully play um man this year now maybe these young guys can develop into guys who can be really good i mean obviously it would have been great to have daryl porter out this year as well um because he was pretty good in man coverage and that's kind of the guys you want but um we have a lot of gaps to fill and these young guys have all the opportunities in the world so i'm really hoping that they put in the work so that you know they're ready next year or the year after that and they're able to play the man coverage like jordan leslie wants them to yeah I'm with you. And, um, you know, we don't want to be too negative after a big win, but um, obviously there, there's still concerns there. So we thought that was worth discussing, but uh, let's shift gears a little bit to the offense who had a great day. WVU's offense had a bit of a rough first half, but they really found their groove in the second half of the game. They totaled 500 yards for the day and they ran well. They passed well. I, I I just thought they looked excellent in all phases. So what do you think of the offense? Yeah. Obviously that late um, was not ideal, but other than that, you know, accurate, efficient, got the ball where he needed it to go to. Um, of course you have, the offensive line who I thought played a stellar game against the defensive line that it seemed like, you know, could have been a tough matchup. I mean, that Ika defensive tackle, that was a big highlighting point that a lot of experts were talking about Zach Frazier against him and Zach Frazier, I think pretty easily won that. Um, You know, the offensive line as a whole played really pretty solid. I mean, Wyatt Milam had a good game. Doug Nestor had a good game. Um, Gemitter had a solid game. I mean, it was just a great game all around and, you know, especially in the run game, because that is a very good Baylor rush defense. We talked about it last week. They were average. They were allowing like 2.6 yards per carry uh, from opponents and WVU kind of bucked the trend there and it starts up front. And it was great to see the offensive line continue to make strides. Um, You know, really not too bad pass blocking either. They allowed 12 pressures, um, but JT Daniels, he didn't get sacked so again another trend upwards and um i don't know honestly i think the offensive line play is one of my um highlights of the game just because um how i think a lot of people thought that baylor's defensive front seven was talented enough to give us a lot of problems and we we have been snake bit before by teams who just you know bully our offensive line and it hasn't been the case every game this year so far so I want to give those guys a lot of credit because they put the work in and over the off season and they have made huge improvements this year, in my opinion. No, big time. Yeah. I want to break it all down. First off, JT Daniels had a nice game through for 283 yards and a touchdown. Um, He did give us a bit of a, a scare. Like you were saying with that late interception, that play really reminded me of Virginia tech last year. Um, And I know people in the stands were blaming the coaches for calling a rollout pass in that situation. But um, to me, that's that's not on the coaches. That was on JT. You know, he's a senior quarterback who, of course, you're going to trust. And, um, you know, you just got to eat that and take a sack or throw the ball away in that situation. But um, the linemen, of course, didn't do them any favors before that pick because we got a false start on first down after a big interception. 
And um, so I think the call was fine. The only thing you could argue that was bad about JT's game was he was not passing well when he was on the move. And, um, you know, that's something I've seen a lot lately. I think it's kind of odd because his struggles while passing on the move um, seem to just be in the last few weeks. I can remember at least two plays against Pitt where he made really nice throws to Bryce Ford Wheaton, another one to Michael Laughlin while he was scrambling. Um, but ever since, for whatever reason, he he's just looked really bad when he's scrambling. He threw behind Prather a couple times against Baylor. Um, he had, the, of course, the pick he was moving. And he just seems very reluctant to run the ball as well, even if he has daylight in front of him. He's, he seems to force a throw that's risky or um, not a sure thing, as if you know running five yards would definitely be. So what do you make of his struggles while he's on the move after, you know, seeming like he's fully capable against Pitt earlier in the year. Yeah. I think, you know, the Pitt game was probably a little different just because it was his first game back. Um, the play calling was probably a little bit more simplified then. I mean, obviously he had been there most of the summer, so, you know, he does have some grasp of the playbook, but I definitely don't think the whole offensive playbook was open then. Um, the thing that impressed me most about him during that Pitt game was his pocket presence and, you know, stepping up in the pocket, he would move outside a little bit, but he really seems to prefer to have his feet set when he throws. Um, and I don't think that's an issue. I mean, I think that's just something you have to kind of coach around. Obviously, you would like to be able to have a quarterback you can run rollouts with. And obviously, if he wants to play in the next level, he's going to have to add that to his game in some way, shape or form. Um, you can't always just be stationary with your feet planted and throw the ball. I mean, you're very limited as a quarterback if you do that. Um, but, you know, it's kind of, I think that's just his preferred style is being a, being in the pocket, navigating it, being able to keep his eyes downfield, not have to worry about the other things um, around him. So, you know, for his time at WVU, I'm not super concerned with it. You know, I definitely think that it's something that Graham Harrell can say, you know, this just isn't going to work. Um, you know, we're just not going to run rollouts or if we are going to run rollouts, you know, you're going to either um, throw it to this guy, or you're going to throw it away. I mean, simplify it for him um, and make sure that his reads are throws that he can make with that. And then that's just something you work on in the off season. So um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it, it does kind of strike a chord where it, it seems a little concerning, but you know, to me um, I'm not super concerned with it because I think we can work around it. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I mean, most of the time he's scrambling and throwing bad throws. It's not, by design, it's because he's getting away from pressure. And then, like, the two to the Prather were him just scrambling away from pressure, which is good mm -hmm. that he's getting away. But then at the same time, you know, we're all having heart attacks when he's throwing these terrible throws, getting wide receivers killed and almost throwing picks. Yeah, um, he needs to throw the ball away. I mean, that's something that he definitely needs to do more instead of holding the ball and trying to force something. I know that's hard for quarterbacks to do because you don't want to give up on a play, but – once you're outside the pocket, just throw it out of bounds if you're not comfortable and there's nothing wrong with that. Well, one thing I thought of is he's taken some big shots this year, and I really do give him credit. He's a very tough quarterback. He he never shows any lingering effects from these shots. He kind of just gets right back up and goes in the huddle. But, um, you know, maybe some of the shots are in the back of his head. Maybe he doesn't trust his legs. Um, I don't know what it is, but it, it's it's just something I've noticed over the past few games. Um, but moving on, I mean, he did have a good game, so 
We don't want to act like he didn't play well. But uh, also, the wide receivers had a great day, not just catching, but run blocking as well. Um, Neil Brown mentioned this, and I have to agree. We criticize the wide receivers a lot when they have bad games, like they did against Texas. So when they have a day like Thursday night, we really need to give them their props and praise. So what's your opinion on the wide receivers? I mean, you know, it's great to see. Um, obviously Caden Prather have such a big game and I'll, I'll talk about him a little bit later because I, I could go on and on about him, but you know, Bryce Ford Wheaton had a solid day, 50 yards, five catches, Sam James, 50 yards as well. Um, you know, it was great to see, you know, those guys go out there and play that there were some kind of strange things that the coaching staff was doing. I remember a few drives where they it seemed like they just had the backups out there or they just had all the backups out with Caden Prather. I don't know what was up with that. Um, that kind of scratched my head. But I also like some of the novel things that they're doing, like getting Garrett Green in there for a couple snaps, mm-hmm. not as a quarterback, but as a receiver, a running back. I mean, th- those are things that I think that Graham Harrell can really kind of build some gimmicks around. And, you know, I, I don't think anyone right now can get excited for seeing uh, Garrett Green starting in the slot anytime soon. But I definitely think there are some trick plays that we can take advantage of um, in the long run with the way that he's thinking. And, I think that's something that we've said numerous times before is, you know, with guys like Garrett Green, you know, he has enough athleticism and explosiveness that you just got to get him in the field and figure out the way to get the ball in his hands. And even though the play that um, he caught a pass on was only for seven yards, it's still something and it's something to build off of. So um, I just wanted to talk about those other guys first um, and get your thoughts on them before we kind of dive in on Caden Prather. Yeah, I'm with you with the creativeness. I love seeing Garrett Green on those couple plays. I, I mean, I wish they had five or six plays set every game where he's out there because you can do so much. I mean, you can run in arounds and then and then have them possibly throw it like an RPO play. So I like that they're playing around with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was just a lot of big catches from plenty of guys. Re, the Reese Smith catch comes to mind um of course Caden Prather had a huge day over 100 yards the only receiving touchdown um Sam James had a huge catch like like you said he ended with 50 yards but I I remember one very significant catch in the second half and although Bryce Ford Wheaton didn't have any really big splash plays um he you know he was picking up first downs in the second half and just you know really making an impact so um Props to them. And, and like we said earlier, they did a great job blocking downfield for Tony and Justin. And um, Tony was even giving them credit in an interview after the game. So, I mean, if you guys don't remember, go back and watch some of those big runs. Uh, the reason they went for so long was because of the wide receivers blocking downfield. They had a lot to do with that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I got no complaints. Just all around great team effort by the wide receivers. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, I I think we've kind of found a really nice, or I should say we settled into a really nice trio of wide receivers and how they're being used. Um, And I think Graham Harrell has kind of honed in on that. I feel like they're really relying on Sam James, like you said, as kind of that deep threat guy down the seam. And he has been thriving in that role. I know his numbers aren't popping off the page, but it seems like every week he's good for a nice 30 or 40 yard catch. And if it's not a 30 or 40 yard catch, he's catching a touchdown. And you'll take that every week. I mean, even if he's only getting two or three catches a game, if that's two or three catches for 50 or 60 yards, that's great. Um, With Bryce Ford Wheaton, you know, I think he is 
just a, a wizard underneath. I think, you know, with his ability to run those slant routes, those stop routes, um, the screens, he's just so good at those. Um, so he's able to keep the defenses kind of honest on that side. And you have to, you know, give him a little extra attention because he's a guy who's going to break a tackle or two a lot of times because of how big he is. And Caden Brather, you know, kind of settling into how talented he is. I mean, I, I've half half jokingly always said that he's the best wide receiver on the team, but, you know, uh, and, and re- realistically, you know, his potential has always been he could be the best wide receiver on the team. And it just kind of goes to show what he did against Baylor. I mean, we saw glimpses of it several times this year of what he could do, um, but he finally put together a full game. He was, you know, beating people deep. He was working underneath. He was hitting in the intermediate routes. He was scoring in the touchdown. He was scoring touchdowns. Um, you know, it, it was just a fantastic game overall. And, you know, I like to see that Graham Harrell was designing more plays for him. I like to see that, you know, JT Daniels is trusting him more, targeting him more because it's becoming more and more apparent that, you know, he is really able to not only make those tough catches, but he's also able to create separation when we need to create separation. And that's something that it seems like Bryce Ford Wheaton has struggled with. And for as good as he is underneath, we've always needed someone who could just be a man, uh, a man beater. And he, it seems like Caden Prather is that guy. Yeah. I mean, you've joked for weeks that he's a number one wide receiver on the roster. And honestly, he probably is now. I mean, the way he's performed the past couple of weeks, he's without a doubt been the top star on that wide receiver group. So um, that's good to see because he's always had the potential and he's got several years left. So uh, it's good to see him growing throughout the year. Let's talk about the running backs because, wow, Tony Mathis had a career day. Um, his 163 yards was the most of his career and he tacked on two touchdowns for good measure. Um, after having a slow start to the, the season, you know, he's kind of proving why people were so high on him in the off season. He looked very decisive, just one cut and go. He even mentioned after the game, how, you know, his coaches were working on, um, doing that, squaring up his shoulders, just seeing a gap and then exploding through it. And that's exactly what it looked like. It, it was very reminiscent of the Tony that we saw at the end of last season. So I couldn't be happier with his performance. Yeah. I mean, it, coming into this game, it seemed like he had no momentum. I mean, it, it could have been very easily the game where, you know, the, teal, the tires just fell off, but like that he put in work and he can definitely, you can definitely see he changed the way he ran a little bit. I mean, as opposed to being, little bit more hesitant in the hole he was just hitting it um you know he was trusting his blocking he was trusting himself and it was super impressive I mean he had 13 forced missed tackles he had multiple 20 plus yard runs um he wasn't just doing it on one side he was running all over the place left side right side up the middle um he didn't make it predictable and um yeah I mean he just had a tremendous game um Obviously, I don't want to overshadow Justin Johnson. He didn't get as much opportunity because you got to ride the hot hand. And I'm not, you know, saying that Justin Johnson needs to kind of be put in the back seat, but it was Tony's game, and you just got to feed him when a guy's running like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you had to. I mean, Tony was just playing so well. But um, like you said, I mean, Justin, let's give him some love too. I mean, he contributed. He had 48 yards. He even had a 19-yard touchdown. So um, the only bad thing I can say about um, Justin's game was he fell down on a play 
that it looked like he had a hole to run through and he just kind of tripped and fell. But other than that one mess up, I mean, he had a solid game for a backup. If you're getting almost 50 yards and a touchdown to, you know, compliment the starter, I'll take that every day, you know? Yeah. And that's what I love about the backfield right now. I mean, you know, even if it's just Tony and, and, and Justin for the next few weeks, while, you know, if Jalen Anderson doesn't get into the mix or if CJ Donaldson needs to sit for longer while he recovers, um, you know, even with just those two, you know, either one of them could get scorching hot at any time and just have a huge game. So, I mean, there's going to be games like this where Tony gets 20 plus cat carries and there are going to be games where Justin Johnson gets 20 plus carries as well. Um, and I feel confident whichever direction the coaching staff decides to go, because I honestly think these two guys are both legit, you know, starting caliber running backs. And we are super, super lucky to have this much talent in our backfield right now. Yeah, it, it's a good problem to have when you're debating who to throw out there because everyone's playing so well. And I saw CJ Donaldson is on the depth chart for um, Texas Tech. Now, that does not mean he's coming back. But to me, that's a sign that he's trending in the right direction. So even though he might not be back for the Tech game, I imagine um, he'll at least be back for TCU. So that's always a positive sign to see. Um but the offensive line, yeah, I mean, you mentioned them earlier. You know, all of this wouldn't be possible without how well they played. They were just excellent. Zero sacks allowed. I believe JT was only really hit one time. Um, you know, they were just great in the running game as well, opening up lanes for Tony and Justin. I mean, this was very encouraging to see. This might have been the most exciting thing to see throughout that whole game because if they can keep this up, there's really no reason this offense isn't going to do a lot of damage in these last six games. Yeah. I mean, there have been times the past couple of years where it seems like in games where we said, you know, we need to just not be terrible on the offensive line and we would just fall apart. Um, offensive line seems to compete opposite of that. Now they're dominating games. Obviously the Texas game, I think was a little bit more of a outlier, um, you know, for multiple reasons. And I'm not sure what those reasons are, but there's, probably lots of good reasons as to why they kind of imploded there. But, um, you know, majority of the games, they've surprised me, even the pit game, um, while they did allow sacks, you know, they, two of them were late. And most of the time they, they gave JT Daniels a pocket to operate it. And even as small as it was, um, they've made sides all game long. Obviously I still think there's one spot on that offensive line where I'm not sure who should be playing there. I know Jaquay Hubbard's been playing there and he's been up and down. Brandon Yates has been playing there. He's been up and down. Jordan White's been um, up and down with injuries. So, I mean, um, but, uh, you know, I definitely think once we get that fifth spot ironed out, um, the offensive line could even get better this year. And, you know, when you have an offensive line where you have five guys that aren't weak at at their position, um, you can really control games and not only get the running game going, but, give someone like JT Daniels more time to make big plays. So um, I, it's probably the area of the team that I've seen the most progress in so far this season. And I know we all give Matt Moore a hard time. So um, give credit where credit is due, I guess. Yeah. Oh yeah. 100%. I mean, if you're performing well, you know, you're going to be showered with praise if you're, <laughs> I mean, that's just how our fan base is, which, Hey, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that they're passionate. Um, and the last thing we wanted to talk about today is, um, you know, I think it's worth asking, does this win affect Neil Brown's job security? So I'll, I'll let you go first on that one. Sure. So, um, 
before the Baylor game, I was at a 10 out of 10 in terms of how hot Neil Brown's seat was. Um, you know, I think with the win earlier today, I was thinking and being ridiculous. And I was like, you know, I'm probably at like a 9.5 now, but the more I kind of think of, think of it, I, I, I think I can say eight. Um, I still think the seat's hot. I still think he needs to get a nice win. Um, obviously Baylor should finish with a winning record. Um, but you know, you kind of got to prove that you can beat teams that you're capable of beating. And this next Saturday is a game that, you know, Texas tech is a beatable team. Um, I would like to see him pull off an upset and, you know, he's going to have some opportunities to do that. He has Oklahoma state. He has um, Kansas state. He has TCU. Um, and we'll see where Oklahoma is at when we play them because they could always shoot up because they're Oklahoma name recognition. So he, he needs to get, you know, something that we've said for a while now, a signature win and a signature win isn't beating Baylor at home who hasn't won in Morgantown ever. Um, a signature win is beating a ranked team. doesn't matter if it's on the road. doesn't matter if it's at home, beat a ranked team. And um, I would love to circle TCU as that game because um, it's, it's a great way to get fans back in the stadium. And I know I'm looking ahead, skipping a week, but um, that's a game I'm really looking forward to be being in a mile and push car stadium for, and it's a game that, you know, if we can take care of business this Saturday against Texas tech, it could be really exciting because you get some fans buying back in and we can get loud and it's tough to play in Morgantown. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm with you. And, um, you know, I, I think this win will definitely give Neil Brown a longer leash. Um, but I also saw a team on Thursday who hasn't given up on their coach. So I, I thought that was huge. Not only was this a big win, but we all saw Coach Brown's players giving maximum effort and playing hard from start to finish. And I think that's just as important as a victory at this point in uh, Coach Brown's tenure here at WVU. That that really does speak volumes to how well Neil connects with his players. Um, now, obviously, you can connect with your players all you want. If you're not producing wins, then the fan base is still going to turn on you. Um, however, after seeing that effort from his team and, um, you know, walking out of there with an exciting win, I think it's safe to say, um, you know, he hasn't lost that locker room yet, which is just so important for his future here at WVU. Because once a coach loses his players, then it's just a matter of time before he's gone. So, um, I, I would probably knock him down to like a, a six or a seven if we're doing it by a scale. I, I think that gives him definitely a longer leash. But I mean, this is a week to week thing. I mean, if you go out Saturday and lay, lay an egg, everyone's going to be calling first job again. So um, what I really want to see WV do is just really ride some momentum. I mean, Neil Brown hasn't won three straight games since he's been here, I don't think. So um what we really need to see out of him is just consistency from week to week. And even if, you know, you're consistently playing well and losing in close games, I think fans can be a little more forgiving. The reason um, the fan base seems to be so hot and cold with him is because it's just Jekyll and Hyde with his teams. You'll see them implode one week and then the next week they, they seem to all bind together and put on a great performance. I just want to see it consistently on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, and, and you know, it kind of goes to, you know, use a, a hockey term, um, you know, creating urgency on every play. I mean, especially like when hockey teams are playing in the playoffs, they talk about, 
have to play with desperation. It doesn't matter what shift you're on. You got to play with desperation. And I think that's something Neil Brown needs to kind of learn how to harness is that, you know, you can't just play hard whenever you're sitting up behind the eight ball, you know, you got to play hard all the time. And, you know, maybe that's something he's learning now. Um, obviously the turnaround in the second half of the Texas game was encouraging um, the way they kind of bounced back, hung around with Baylor and then came back in the second half and won that game was encouraging. Um, but, you know, I want to see us play a full four quarters against a, a, a good big 12 team. And I'm not sure if Texas tech is that I think Texas tech isn't a bad big 12 team. Um, but, you know, I definitely think it's a game that, you know, I want to see him, like you said, consistency put forward a consistent four quarters. There's going to be mistakes. There's going to be penalties. There's going to be turnovers. I can forgive that as long as it's not in the worst possible time. Um, but yeah, I mean, and you bring up a really good point too, about the players trusting him. Um, I, I'm going to be interested to see in the off season, how many of these players kind of stick around and, you know, stick behind their word because the transfer portal is still around. Um, you know, and, and I think there's a change to the transfer rule where there's transfer windows now, and I don't think we're in a transfer window right now. Um, so I don't think players can transfer. I have to verify that, but I, I think that's the rule now. But, you know, I, I'm interested to see what happens at the end of the season. And it's also going to come into like how we finish the season too. So there's a lot of variables in play that we're just not going to know the answer to until after that Oklahoma state game. But um, the only way that Neil Brown can, can kind of control is to continue winning. I'm with you. Yeah. And, and just to, you know, give him more credit with how he connects with players. We had a recruit. I think his name was uh, Jaheim Hunt. Jaheim White. Or, sorry, Jaheim White. Yeah. Uh, who came out and really supported Neil Brown um, publicly through Twitter, social media, and, and just talks about how well he connects with these guys. And so, I don't know. I just think that really does speak volumes. And, you know, it's it's just what we've been saying for years now. If Neil Brown could just start putting it on the football field and winning, um, he could really be a coach that people love around here because he does pull in guys. He, he does have a good relationship with players. It's just it's got to result in wins eventually. You know what I mean? Um yeah. So that's it for us, guys. I mean, we're about to record another one. So let's wrap this one up. Once again, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We really want to get those numbers up. And um, like we said, we know a lot of you listen weekly. So please just help us out and hit that subscribe button. And other than that, thank you very much. We appreciate the support. We will catch you on the next episode.